what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. This is our film discussion and review show here on our network. And I am Alan Jackson, one of your two co-hosts for this next little bit of time. Uh, I am a co-director, co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. And basically just duplicate what I just said about my co-host, my co-director, my co-founder, Chris Fry. Chris, how's it going? It is going well. I'm looking forward to, as always, reviewing movies, but we've got two films that are like on the polar <laughs> opposite ends of the, kind of the spectrum. One's Oscar-nominated, independent kind of art film. The other one is the huge, big-budget MCU film. So, yeah. So, so it's, you know. uh, we always try to pair up our, our reviews, at least try to have some variety, so it's not similar films every time. And a lot of times we do that. The films come out to be very different in tone and style, and that is the case for this week. So as Chris already kind of told you, yes, that will be what we are doing in this episode. We are reviewing two films. First up will be the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe epic. It is Ant-Man and the Wasp, colon, Mania. That is going to be the latest film from director Peyton Reed, starring Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly, and also Mr. Jonathan Majors. So we're going to be discussing that big blockbuster film, followed by a review of the film Living, which is featuring the starring or starring Bill Nye, directed by uh, Oliver Hermanis and based on a Kira Kurosawa uh, film called Ikuru. So we're going to talk about all of that in our reviews process. Now, Chris, after our reviews on the show, you and I have some trailers, our trailer tapas section, where we're going to give you a little morsels of some new trailers that have been released for films coming up. Uh, we've got quite a few to talk about in those, some interesting film projects that we're eager to talk about with you. And at the end of the show, we will have our recommendations of films that we think are worth checking out if you haven't done so already or are looking for something to, to stream or watch in the comfort of your own home in the coming weeks. So Chris, as always, we got a lot to do. I say we just get right into it with our first review. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First review up. This is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Quantum mania. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now. Chris, it has been no secret to anybody who's listened to this show for a long period of time that of the two of us, I'm definitely more of the Marvel Cinematic Universe fanboy. I have had my issues with some Marvel films here and there, but in general, I'm the one that's typically more looking forward to these films 
to see what they do because I did grow up as a Marvel Comics lover. I, I, I like to see a serialized storytelling that's going on and uh, weaving together multiple films over a longer arc and seeing character development and everything else happen with that. So when it was introduced that Ant-Man and the Wasp was going to have a third movie in their trilogy called Quantum Mania, and it is basically being marketed as a setup to the next phase of Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Phase five. 82. Oh, five. <laughs> five. You're right. Phase five. Um, Seems like 82. I, uh, you would have thought that I would have been all gung-ho and ready to go on this. But I'll be honest, before the screening we went to, um, I was mixed on whether I was really looking forward to this or not. I think I even told you that the main reason I wanted to see this film has to do with one one thing and one thing only. It was Jonathan Majors as the villain, King, who was going to be in this film. I'm a huge Jonathan Majors fan. I love everything he's in. I think he's one of our best emerging new actors right now. So I was very excited to see him in this film. But I can't say I was terribly excited about the rest of it. Chris, let me just kind of give a quick... If, if as if the plot of this film really mattered, let's just go ahead and lay it out. <laughs> Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, who are an also Ant-Man and the Wasp, along with Hank Pym, who was kind of an original Ant-Man and Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, all explore the quantum realm together where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. And along the way, they meet King. So that is the summary of this film. Uh, from a very high level. Now, Chris, as I toss it over to you to get your thoughts, let me just kind of pose this question. Was this film necessary? Question number one, does it exist in a world where there is anything from this film that uh, is worth checking out and seeing? Okay. That's more of a bigger question. Or was this all just spectacle and just uh, filler space for the next big Marvel movie? That's kind of a big topic question too. And then I'll just ask you in general, uh, did you get more excitement enjoyment out of this film than what I was dreading going into it or thinking it might be lacking in, in my predictions? Big broad questions. Basically you just tell me, what'd you think? Sure. Do you well, like the film? I think, you know, as you kind of alluded to the reason to see the film, if you're interested, you know, you may, if you don't care anything about <laughs> superhero movies, then yes, you skip it. Um, However, if you are a fan of comic book movies, the reason to see this one um, is Jonathan Majors as Kang, the conqueror, the the big bad guy, the villain in the film. Um, for me, it was helpful. I, as you kind of mentioned, I'm not a Marvel aficionado of the comic books. I know the, some of the characters, but I don't know like the deep lore and everything. So the movie was helpful for me in that it did kind of give an introduction and a little bit of a backstory, but not too much on Kang so that when he, I'm thinking he may be kind of the next Thanos. <laughs> so, you know, that was in the Avengers in game movies and the, you know, the stuff that came before, I guess that would be, was it phase three? Cause then phase four has been the, after the end game movie. So if we can keep all these different phases straight, but so it was helpful to me. Now, that being said, um, other than just acting as an introduction piece, yeah, the movie doesn't have a lot going for it. But if I think back to 2018's Ant-Man and the Wasp, okay, well, actually, let's go all the way back to the original Ant-Man that starred Paul Rudd. You know, 
that movie I went back and watched recently and I liked it a lot. We reviewed it here on the show. And when it came out, I remember there was kind of this specter looming over it that Edgar Wright had, you know, he did, he was still credited as a writer and I think a producer on the film, but he stepped away from directing and in came Peyton Reed. And a lot of people I think couldn't get that me included, couldn't really get that out of their head. And so that kind of affected their kind of like, Oh, I mean, it was okay. But it wasn't great. Then came Ant-Man and the Wasp, which that film was, to me, nothing but a setup for Avengers Endgame. Um, it was the things that I liked about the first Ant-Man film. Paul Rudd, you know, him being able to use his humor and um, Michael Pena in that film, which they did still have Michael Pena in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Sadly, no appearance by Michael Pena in Quantumania. I was, Quantumania, I was really disappointed about that because I think he's a good, he's just a good duo with... Paul Rudd. But I think this film basically just serves as like you kind of said, a setup for the next couple of films that are going to come rolling out from Marvel. Now that said with the recent Marvel films we've reviewed, um, I think the last one was love and thunder. Would that be the last one that we reviewed Would that? Work? We reviewed a Wakanda forever. Oh, Wakanda forever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. See, see, it's just, they just all run together. Um, there hasn't been, which I understand there, it's kind of like a floating period where they're just doing movies and wrapping up certain things. There hasn't been like a thread of like, okay, here's where we're going, like a direction. So for me, I was happy to see like, finally, like, okay, now they're setting a new direction. There's going to be kind of a unifying theme because with these movies, and we'll get to (laughs) the CGI-ness of them and the battle sequences of them, um, they kind of all blend together. So what can end up separating them is the fact that they are kind of like building blocks. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, uh, people talk about the end game and Thanos. And that was like a big cultural moment thing. So I feel like that's what some of the films have been lacking. Not that Wakanda Forever was a terrible movie. It wasn't. We reviewed it here on the show. Um, It did have a good, interesting kind of tribute thing to Chadwick Boseman, who passed away, who played that character. So, and I liked the Black Widow movie that came out. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting way to flashback because she was dead as of, as of Avengers Endgame. Spoiler, people haven't seen that. But what comes down to it, the biggest negative for me um, is just that it's just, and I, yes, it go, you mentioned, it goes to the quantum realm. They spend the entire time down there And it's just, I mean, I guess it has to be, they didn't want to, I guess, spend all the money on practical sets and they, it's just so CGI that it, it just, I mean, it looks, it looks terrible. And I guess they can't, you know, it's not like the CGI of something like, let's say Avatar, where that, because I think they did, I think they do a combination of practical things and people acting in front of a green screen. I don't know, for some reason, it just didn't bother me as much, but in this film, there's a scene where Michelle Pfeiffer is touching who's um, she's playing uh, Janet Van Dyne. They're in the quantum realm and they're kind of walking into the quantum realm. They've just gotten down there and she's kind of acting as kind of a guide. And she touches this giant, I don't know, manta ray looking thing. And like, you can tell, you you can tell like, you know, her eye lines and her touching something. It just, it just looks dumb. <laughs> so, um, so what that, so, so right. yeah. So throw it back to you. Chris what, might have given the longest answer to a right. question I've ever yeah, I've ever one. asked. It's a long one. Chris, did you like it? I, I liked it enough. I mean, liked my, it expect, enough. my expectations okay. were so yeah. low going in. Um, 
I think there's enough that I do like it, which I will talk about some things that I did like because I've mm-hmm. basically ranted on how I didn't like it. You know, right off the top, you'd already met Jonathan Majors. Yes, he makes me like the film more than I would have otherwise because the way he, the, I think the way he does Kang, I think is awesome. And Rudd continues to win me over as, you know, Scott Lang with Ant Man because, I mean, the film is named Quantum Mania, <laughs> which. Mm-hmm. That right there, it's like it's the whole Ant-Man persona of not really taking things too seriously, like Scott Lang, who's playing Ant-Man, you know, with Paul, like he just kind of, he's kind of your happy-go-lucky, wise-cracking guy, just doesn't really, he's not your typical superhero, doesn't really care, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't really care about being a superhero. Um, so it's like the name of the film is a dumb name. So it's not meant to be like this in game or, you know, this like daunting title. No, it's quantum mania. You know, you're like, okay. So that kind of let me know and kind of set the stage just going into the film. So did I like it? Yeah. I, you know, I liked it. Okay. I was less frustrated with it than I was, let's say for example, Thor love and thunder and uh, Wakanda forever. And, you know, if you're comparing it just to Ant-Man movies, no, it doesn't live up to the original Ant-Man. But I did find it better than Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, I mean, you know, it's kind of redeeming a little bit. Um, but I think it just a lot of it comes down to it's just a setup for the future movies. So, And the, the fact that I think it would have been better, even if it had just been a setup, if there was another story going on, not the quantum realm. Because that just that, – that was kind of like a one-two – knockout punch. So what, what are some of your feelings, Alan? Okay. <laughs> Good deal. There's a lot to process to yes. Chris. So, right. a, lot, a lot to, lot to say. Lot um, to. so, uh, I, I struggled with this film. Uh, I am the Marvel guy coming into this. I want to give a Marvel film the, the, the credit I can. This one, I, I do feel, I feel very weary about it, it was a very, it's an exhausting film. I feel like, and at the end of the day, exhausting is not a problem if there's a lot to take away from the film at the end of the day. This one didn't have anything to take away, I don't feel like. Sure. It's very inconsequential at the end of the day as well, which I think is, is Other than just it. setting up King. It sets it up. But I mean, but, really, it. I don't know. you could almost not see this film and I think still kind of be given a 10-second introduction. Yeah, he in just shows up and starts And you're back butt. to where you were before. <laughs> sure. So uh, not to give away the ending spoiler, I'm just saying that it's very clear this is a setup for, for a longer story. Um, and I was also very, very exhausted by the, by the look of the film. Mm -hmm. I think it was, it it definitely was trying to evoke a very uh, star Wars vibe to it with kind of the visual look of it, but also trying to be very trippy and psychedelic in a way too, because it's this whole quantum realm thing. It's just, it's exhausting by the end. And I feel like, I don't mind the whole film taking place in a giant CGI world, but there wasn't a lot of extra effort to really make it feel real. Like mm. you were commenting on sure. it just didn't feel like it had that, that texture to it that made it feel like it was a truly lived in world as opposed to, I still feel like the whole time I'm watching people in front of a giant green screen for, you know, I know that's not what they're using necessarily, but the same idea, Sure, this idea of just, I, I, people are acting in a very artificial world and it very felt that way throughout the whole film. Um, I also had an issue with tone of the film. I realized too. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think you mentioned the title and yes, the title tries to clue you in. I mean, the, the film's title has the words, Ant-Man, Wasp, 
in quantum mania in it, <laughs> you would think, okay, well, they're going to go for fun and more mm. of a fun vibe to this. And it did for 60, 70% of the film. And then it tries to go into a very serious mode with it because they are setting up a gigantic villain for this whole universe. Sure. And it's, it's clashing and even, even to the point where even the, the villain is even kind of commenting about how he's facing a guy named Ant-Man. And it's kind <laughs> of a, it is a little bit of a, it's an odd mixture. It's like, all right, are we wanting to take this threat seriously? Are we really wanting to set this up as the true villain that we're going to be facing for the next couple of years? Or is this kind of more jokey? Is this a little more mm-hmm. fun? Is this a little more playful? And I don't think the film really knew what to do either. I think you could have replaced any hero with Ant-Man and this film would have still done the same job. There wasn't anything that made it unique for it being the character of Ant-Man that I think made this a film that warranted his involvement in. You see what I'm saying? Sure. The previous two films I get, yeah, it made sense why it was Ant-Man or the Wasp in this film here. It's just, well, we need this film. We need this to happen. So let's just drop this characters into it and let's make a movie out of it and see where it goes. And, um, I, I, I did not have a great time with this film. Um, I feel like the, there are moments of absolute utter conveniences that Hmm. I'm used to in most movies, but when you're doing it in a giant fake CGI world with a mixed tone to the whole thing, it, it, it stands out a lot more. Um, so I overall had troubles with the film. I do not think it was a terribly enjoyable film. I wish it had either been more fun or gone and taken itself more seriously, one or the other, instead of trying to do this hybrid that it did. And I just don't think the mixture worked. Um, but you were you were commenting on some positives, and let's 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 key in on those. Sure. You mentioned Jonathan Majors. I absolutely completely agree. He is great to watch. And if it wasn't for his role, if they had some other lesser performance in that key villain role, this movie would have been just completely disposable for me. It's like there's no reason. I ever need to revisit this film or I have no desire to recommend it to anybody. It's something they need to check out. I will say though, for Jonathan major's role, I might be tempted to watch parts of this again, if it hmm. were available to me for him. Oh, it will be on Disney plus. Oh, sure. have no but I mean, if I'm, if it's on sure. and I have an opportunity to watch it again, it will be his performance that causes me to want to watch it again. The second uh, accolade I'll give also performance wise is Michelle Pfeiffer, hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer, I can't think of the last time I've seen her in a feature length film, like a big motion picture, but she's, I think she's amazing. I think she's really, really good in this role. I think she's really good in this film, a film I would not have expected her to be able to perform in the way she did. Hmm. Um, I'm not used to seeing her in a giant CGI spectacle of a movie, but she pulls it off and she holds her own. And she, she, the two of them, they actually have an extended scene. The two of them, Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer, their characters, that I think is one of the shining parts of the film. I think it really made the film more interesting to me. And it started to traipse into that more taking it more seriously and having a little more weight to the film, their moments. And then it just kind of got all got discarded when they come back to the main plot line. And it's just all random, funny, weird characters on this sci-fi world. And it just, it lost me at that point. So, um, so I will say those are positives. Um, I don't have any other positives to shine out there. I mean, I think Paul Rudd is good as always, but I don't think he really stood out. I don't think this was like, oh, wow, he really brought something extra to the film. 
I think his role was actually a little more minimal than I would have liked for it to be in the well, film. Well, you've got so many different people yeah, yeah. having suits, growing big, shrinking down, doing all sorts of stuff that you've got Paul Rudd doing that. You've got uh, Evangeline Lilly as the wasp doing that. Then you've got her mom and dad, who I think at some point may use suits. They bring their daughter, or Paul, or Paul Rudd has a daughter, Catherine Newton, who's playing Cassie Lang. She comes down there too, and she's like growing up, shrinking, doing all that stuff. It's just... Uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot. It's a lot of characters. And to me, unfortunately, I, you know, I, you said you liked uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. I also think Michael Douglas for him being, you know, I don't, <laughs> he was in the other two Ant-Man movies for him being in this. And it's not, you know, it's goofy. It's not what I would assume Michael Douglas thought. <laughs> he gets know. to talk to ants and ride ants. Right. Yeah, right. But, I, but I, I think but I applaud both he and Michelle Pfeiffer because mm-hmm. for them to be in this type of movie, it's like, yeah, you know, this is not, <laughs> but I think they do a good job with, they take it seriously and I think they're, they're effective in it. And yet this, this film actually, yeah, you're right. Does kind of focus in on Michelle Pfeiffer and let her kind of have the more, she, she has, has the more back, some role. backstory and yeah. some media role. Um, a weakness for me was the, the Cassie Lang character. Just, she came across as just being kind of too convenient and also kind of irritating. Yeah, kind very of like convenient. Luke Skywalker, Star Wars, New Hope, like whiny and just, I, I don't know. Her, her role was really a big question mark for me. Her, her character's role, not her as an actress. She did right. a fine job. With sure. Their performance. It's the, this, the way the character was written. She was really just the, she was written as a device to make everything happen. Right. Right. Which when you really look back and think about all the things that had to have transpired, to cause this film to happen, the plot of this film, it's so contrived and mm-hmm. it's so uh, not warranted by anything else we see in the film. That's a big thing is that this film tries to pull off things and wants you to feel or believe things that have no grounds for anything it showed you elsewhere in the film. Sure. There's a closing moment that's so hinging on a relationship between two of our main characters that I don't even know if these two characters, Chris, for the almost the duration of the movie, even talk to each other or in the <laughs> same room. But yet we're supposed to believe by the ending that a key pivotal scene is all about this strength of this relationship between these two. But yet you've given me nothing film mm-hmm. to show me that that's warranted. Just like Cassie Lang's character is supposed to be, have done something so incredibly high minded scientific and just would take people decades of their careers to do she's somehow knocked out and did and it's a pastime <laughs> and yet it somehow now sets off this entire plot of this film it uh, and again i'm not saying that you know she couldn't have been this prodigy genius and have created this kind of thing but sure. you've given me nothing in the film or nothing with her backstory or nothing about her to make me believe this is at all possible so again it's just You've got to earn these things, film. If you really want me to believe in the characters, you really want me to believe in what's driving the plot forward, give me something to make me believe it instead of just saying, oh, yeah, she created this, and that led to this, and now we're here, and now we do this. And it, it just it was too convenient, way too convenient in so many places. Um, well, I'd, I'd, so to kind of have to – I'll say two positives or two kind of you know, wrapping positives on it. I mentioned Paul Rudd, but specifically towards the end of the film – there's a line delivery that he gives that actually, I don't know that I can recall off the top of my head, Ant-Man line deliveries in the other films. Yeah, they're, they're good. And I've liked, you know, the first one better, but he delivers the line. I don't have to win. We just both have to lose. And that's something like for me to be able to recall that line. And I think that line 
it's it it's done really well. And that like, you know, it is towards the latter half of the film. So that kind of I don't know, it kind of elevated things maybe. It a elevated bit more. the film and then it deflated it within five <laughs> minutes. I mean, really, it seriously did. That's the shame of it, is that that's one of those moments where it's like the film is really trying to give you some weight, sure. give you some gravity, give us some stakes in this film. Tell us why why this is important and why we need to care right now. And a line like that was great because, yes, it worked. I'm like, ooh, the film is actually going to try to do something meaningful now. Mm. And then within, honestly, two minutes, it had deflated all of that and be like, nah, never mind. We were just joking. It's all good. Or we're just going to end the movie this way. And it's just, wow, what a just a, a disappointment of where you could have taken this film and tried to do something a little more interesting with it. Instead, you just gave us two hours of um, pop, you know, pop candy uh, just to watch and, and, and chew on and nothing really to like leave you, you with afterwards. Chris, I can't think of a really like other than the final fight between two characters. Okay. That was probably the most realistic thing that we face in the film, the little more grounded, uh, because both characters are not CGI. Right. At this point. They yeah. were just having a fight yep. and that worked for me. Sure. I can't think of any other and action guess, sequence or any other sequence throughout the rest of the film that I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that scene or that, sure. that, that activity. And we just saw this two days ago. Right. So Anyway, well, um, and there's also very like, disposable. Film. I'll say that scene too. Not only is it between two non CGI characters, I think maybe they are on an actual set having this fight Feels too, like not in a yeah. CGI generated. And thing. It made a huge difference. So again, it, yeah, I, I, I understand the reason they use the technology they have sure. available to make it. Yes, trying to build sets of this entire gigantic, odd, strange, unique world. Yes, I get it. The technology makes it so much more convenient and you can really broaden the scope of what you do in the film. But it just, you've got to take extra efforts to make sure that the acting, the performances, and overall, I keep saying the weight has to be there. Mm -hmm. And it just takes some extra effort to make sure your people feel it and the audience feels it. I didn't feel it. And um, <laughs> it hurt the film overall for me. So, sure. Yeah. I'm going to mention another positive that okay. can immediately be turned into a negative um, for both of us, I, I'm assuming. Um, but I did like the fact that it was there. But then, yeah, the in- eventual handling of it was problematic. But um, the inclusion of the character Modoc, he's shown briefly in the trailer. So it's, I'm not spoiling anything for like Marvel people that are really excited. But Modoc is in the quantum realm. And... I appreciated how they tied back, tied Modoc kind of in with some of the films that had come before. I'll just leave it at that um, because I thought that was unique. Um, however, I'm sure you can say how some of the beats that they gave the character maybe didn't land as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm really mixed on how they handled that that character. I, I'm not somebody who was sitting there applauding when Modoc showed up on screen. I'm not, you know, it's it's a cool little it's a cool little call out to Marvel comics and some of the history and a kind of a a very odd, unique villain that has dealt with, you know, Captain America dealt with a bunch of other uh, people over the, in the Marvel comics world. I didn't mind how they handled it. I didn't mind the face behind the mask. I didn't mind what they did with a character as a callback. Um, But initially but then as the movie went on, I think they just lost direction of what this character is supposed to be. And it became so antithetic to what this original character was. Hmm. 
And it just was disappointing to me. That's just, okay. You take somebody that uh, was a pretty, I, I thought a pretty integral key role in this whole Marvel universe and a character I really kind of liked from a previous film and you're transforming and making it into something else. And now that person is so completely different and not at all the personality that I think uh, he should have. Mm-hmm. So anyway, do we, do we dance around that enough? I sure. mean, I don't, I think we I never it. like spoiling stuff right. in these films, no. but um, cause I know people you know, want to go in and, and it relish this, this excitement the first time. And sure. I enjoy that too. I, I don't like being spoiled in these films, but uh, I do feel like this was uh, some missed opportunities here. And again, that all came back to tone as well. Just the way they handled that character and the the tone they had him portray later in the film, uh, just it just didn't work. It just didn't work in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah. Okay. So overall, it sounds like I'm more negative on this film than you are, and that's sad because I'm the Marvel guy. I'm the one that was all <laughs> championing, you know, them continuing the, the Marvel universe. I have been less impressed with the Marvel films in the past couple of years. Sure. I do feel like they've been floundering. I don't feel like there's been that thing that's really grabbed people and really made them feel like that we're on a great forward trajectory with these films. If this was supposed to be the kickoff, I'm, I'm concerned. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I will say the, uh, again, no spoiling involved. There's an in credit sequence, just like every Marvel film has, it's mm-hmm. supposed to kind of help propel things forward. And I think the one they had here, gave me even less uh, confidence in where the Marvel films are going, um, having to do with the main villain. Uh, it was just an odd sequence, and, and it just did not did not add any, any level of seriousness to what we're supposed to take on this villain, and that's, that's a shame because I think that's going to be questioning hmm. where, the, where the films go going forward. I'm talking about the first credit sequence, not the final one. Okay. Uh, the final one two. was – the second one was at least – made sense and it tied into some previous uh, previous content, which was fine. But the first one, the one that's supposed to be the, this is where we're going now. This is where this character is moving in the future did not give me any, any confidence either. So I don't know, man, I'm a little worried. <laughs> I'm a little worried, but uh, that is Ant-Man and the Wasp quantum mania. Did you have any other final no, no, items no. on that? I, I think I'm done too. I've, I think I have ranted enough. I think you have <laughs> gave enough background on everything. So that's where we stand. Chris is a little more positive on it than I am. I have some issues and concerns with the franchise as a whole. And um, I hope we don't spend another movie in the quantum realm. I really don't need that. We're done with the quantum realm, right? I hope so. Okay. I think so too. That is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. It is in theaters coming out now, basically. Uh, it's going to be a big movie, I'm sure. But my prediction, Chris, is I don't think it'll be a big smash. I think it's actually going to come. My prediction is I think at the end of the day, it's going to be considered a little bit of a letdown to the box office analyst. That's my prediction. We'll see if I hold true on that. Okay. All right, Chris, let's, let's change gears and let's talk about our second film. It is the, uh, adaptation, interesting adaptation of an Akira Kurosawa film and, and screenplay. This is the film living starring Bill Nye. Mr. Williams, a little on the frosty side, perhaps. Not too much fun in laughter. Rather like church. What is it up? It's 
small wonder I didn't notice what I was becoming. Dad, you're right. If only to be alive for one day. Theo Tolstoy wrote an original story that Akira Kurosawa's 1952 Ikaru was based on. So now we have another adapt. We have an adaptation of that 1952 film Ikaru in Living, starring Bill Nye. It's set in 1950s London, where a humorless civil servant decides to take time off work to experience life after receiving a grim diagnosis. So this is a remake. It is an English remake, whereas Kurosawa's was, you know, not in English. Um, Alan, whenever we see remakes, there can be the temptation to say, well, maybe I should just check out the original. I have not seen the original Ikaru or read the st- short story or that Tolstoy wrote. So this was new to me, which may have helped my, you know, feelings about it, but we'll get to mine. We're going to go to you first. Then the other thing I have to ask you is um, – the themes of the film, because there are two things. A, it's a remake. Then B, themes of the film. Um, do you feel like they were something that um, – do you feel like there was a reason they left it back in the 1950s instead of adapting it maybe to present day? Because mm-hmm. um, they, they were adapting it anyway. Um, and are you aware, just a little trivia for Alan – the writer of the screenplay wrote Never Let Me Go. You're nodding, which I know is one of your favorite films that we reviewed way, 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 way yeah. back. On our he he wrote episode. Remains of the Day okay. and uh, Never Let Me Go. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what were your feelings on living? And do you think he, are you as impressed with Mr. Kazu Ishiguro's work on this adaptation for which he is nominated for an yeah, Oscar as well as Bill Nye, screenplay. who mm-hmm. got nominated for his role in it. But, uh, what yeah. were your What were your thoughts on living? So I I, I did generally like this film. Okay. I had a, a good time with it. Um, you asked about the question of it being a remake, and I think I think it it works on its own for a couple reasons. Okay. One, I, I don't you know the story that it's it's retelling is not a story that you can't hear again. Hmm. It's it's a story that watching it in a different setting, hearing it with different people and different lines of dialogue coming from people's mouths gives you a different experience. So it's not like anything is ruined or, or, or you're comparing yourself to the original on a constant basis. And plus the fact, I mean, there's like 70 years between the 1950s version and this one. So it's kind of extended True. beyond the period of, Oh, why are they remaking this? Well, okay. 75 <laughs> years have passed. It's sure. okay. We can remake this film. Um, and, and I think you're bringing Bill Nye to the table too. I mean, it, this is kind of being highlighted as a film that's a little bit of a showcase piece for him. I mean, mm-hmm. he is in eighty percent of the film. Sure, um, he is the primary character we're following. He he is the one that we have to ha- be emotionally invested in for this thing to work. Right. We have to see him at the beginning, the kind of character he is, that very humorless and kind of very um, just kind of plodding through life personality we have to buy into what he experiences and what changes him and i think the film does a really good job of that what i love about the film and i'm sure this is i know the same format in the original as well what i love about it is it doesn't feel the need to stick to a perfect straight line linear narrative Mm -hmm. in the last third of the film it does play with that narrative structure in a way that i thought was interesting 
Which I wasn't expecting because I wasn't, I wasn't either. I, w- I knew of the original film, but I hadn't seen it. So I wasn't expecting yeah. that. So it, it's a little bit of a, you're about two thirds of the way through the film and an event transpires that you're a little taken back by because now you're thinking, well, what's going to happen for the last third of the film? And the film explores using a little bit of a more, uh, an interesting narrative device of mm-hmm. kind of some recounting by other characters of things that had transpired before that we were not privy to that we get to now see from different viewpoints that really kind of tell the whole picture of something by the end. And that really worked for me. So I'll admit the movie was, was I was appreciating the film that final Hmm. 20 minutes, I think really kind of sealed it for me, really made it work for me in general. Um, What was your takeaway on Bill Nye's performance with this? So I, you know, Bill Nye, most familiar with him probably when he was uh, the Davy Jones character from Pirates of the Caribbean, but I've seen him in other films. He was in about time. He's in love actually and stuff, but um, I've never really seen him in a film where he was the central character and he mm-hmm. was the big um, showcase character in you know, a central role. That's why he's nominated for best actor instead of supporting actor for the film. Um, I really enjoyed his performance and it's interesting because I think it may be my favorite performance of his. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar to a film you and I reviewed recently on the show, different film, but set, you know, kind of a period piece. This is the 1950s. The other one was the 1980s, but to Olivia Coleman's performance in empire of light, where Hmm. she was the Senate, one of the central characters in that, but she was kind of understated, but there was a lot she would do with her face or how she would tilt her head and things like totally different type of, or, you know, she's doing a different role. Somebody struggling with mental issues. And this is somebody the whole time that is struggling with a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And they, as soon as they learn that they, it's kind of like, you can always see it on his mind, even though he's not mentioning it and the way he holds himself and the things he says, I, I don't know. I just, I really enjoyed his performance was the typical less is more type thing. And I really felt that from him in this so much so that in the beginning, he is supposed to be this taciturn, very like, you know, plain man that goes about business kind of robotic. And I like the fact actually that he never devolves into this mushy, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he doesn't do this huge character yeah, yeah. at the end. No, he's this not, like, yeah. like joking, laughing that no, he, he, he does warm up a little bit. I'm not going to say he continues to be an ice King. He does warm up a little bit, but it's not like he's totally defrosted. You know what I mean? He yeah. still has, layers that he's put it's very on. believable yeah i think that the, the evolution we see in him mm-hmm. as opposed to it feeling like it was some magical switch that gets switched and all of a sudden he's a different person and sure. acting out of out of sort no he's still the same person at the end of the film just we it explores more of the other side aspects of that character and more of the other viewpoints of that character than it does we have to see it so exhibited in that main character himself um not it's a very understated performance, but it works. The film as a whole, very, very understated. It's a yeah, much true quieter, much slower film than I maybe expected it to be. Oh, okay. Um, but it's okay. I'm not complaining. It's just it is it does take its time in a lot of places. And uh but it's okay. I think it looks beautiful. I think it's a really well shot, well yeah, the ma- cinematography well, well, was striking. Very, very uh, visually interesting to look at. Yeah. I think the time period, I mean, I know it's not really much of a change on time period. This is also 1950s. Yeah. Uh, I think the original took place in the fifties as well. Right. Right. So I think keeping the time period made sense location of moving it to London. Um, 
I mean, it works. I mean, I, I think it works. I think for, you know, my understanding is that Bill Nye, you know, had not seen the original film when he was approached by the writer. Interesting. About okay. doing this. That's okay. the, that's the, that's the trivia notes on okay. the film anyway. Okay. Says that when he met the screenplay writer, the writer told him, I want to make a version of it. And I'd love to do it in London in the fifties. And, Bill Nye then went back and saw the original and said, yes, okay, I want to do this as well. Okay. So whether it was more of a seeing a character like Bill Nye play this role, and that obviously meant it needed to be in England or London Mm -hmm. to really work, or just to try to find a very different geography environment to put this in. I don't know what the reasoning was, but I liked it. I thought it worked really well in this this location and and staying in the same same time period. So when we screened this film for our film society, uh, one of the things that came up in the discussion that I was mentioning to the crowd at first was kind of like we talked about why remake this. Yeah. You remake it, you keep it in the same time period, but you move it to London so Bill Nye can be in it. Okay. Well, actually, after the whole film finished, I was reflecting and talking to the, the audience and I thought, you know, actually, the fact that they didn't update this to modern day, to like, you know, 2023, I think is actually a strength. And here's why. Because in the film, they have the messages of kindness, helping others when you can, what's important in life, things like that. If they had upgraded that to 2023, I think it would have almost made it too obvious that they're trying to drive home, hey, you need to remember to be nice to people, you know. But by keeping it back in the 1950s and having like they were still recovering from the war and trying to rebuild parts of London and stuff, um, I think it it added that layer of like, oh, yeah, that happened back then. But then you realize like, yeah, these are still important things to remember today. Like, hey, sometimes you just help people when you can't. You do the right thing. You try to help push through bureaucracy and do the right thing. Like those are messages that were important back then and messages that are still important today. But like. I think keeping it in that time period in a way makes it not as heavy handed. Does that make sense? Not as heavy handed. And I think also there are just some logistical elements of the film that I don't think could have worked in modern mm, day. Okay. I think the structure of the, the business where they all work and okay. the way the hierarchy was kind of set sure. up in the business and the, you know, the routineness of the work that they do, sure. the role of the men versus the, the one woman in mm, the office and yeah. kind of her, what transpires with her career all of that, I think, I, I think it just plays better in this time period. It just makes it's it's more adaptable there than it would be in modern day. But Got yeah, you. I think all those reasons together. Um, no, it's 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 good. I I think I think uh, I got a lot out of it by the end of the day. But I like the fact that it didn't feel the need to beat me over the head with any overly positive or inspirational <laughs> messages either. I did sure. it, it, it all very very understated. And there was a moment at the end of the film, there's a scene between two characters, one of them being a policeman. Oh, yes. That, I mean, it just kind of brought the whole film home. And <laughs> nice. it was a, such a simple scene, some, such a simple dialogue, but it just encapsulated everything. And it just, if you hadn't kind of figured out what the film was trying to say or what it was meaning to say by that point, it it got you in that moment for yeah, sure. Sure. So that, you know, any, any, any hesitation I'd have to recommend this film were kind of dissipated by the end and by those last few scenes. So and there, there are a couple of scenes too that, and I think it has to do, you know, with the writing and the actors involved as well. There's that scene you're mentioning with the, with the policeman. There's a scene that takes place at a dinner. 
uh, with the Williams character, his son and the son's wife, where there's supposed to be a confrontation and it's a non-confrontation, but just the way they set that up and the carry out, like that's just, just, just well done. And that's a very memorable scene. um, Something else that I'd like to call out, which really kind of told me I was in good hands with the film is actually kind of the opening of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, They started off with, I'm assuming period footage mm-hmm. of the 1950s London. So the, and actually the screen resolution or the ratio screen ratio stays the same. So it's that kind of boxy look, a little more boxy, not quite a box. four by three, but it's a little more traditional. I think an older British film kind of perspective. And then they keep, they lock it in at that aspect ratio and don't broaden it out. Even when the, you know, modern stuff that's being shot with Bill Nye and everything, they keep it in that ratio, which I thought was interesting. So they use, period footage at the beginning to kind of set the stage and then they leave it in that ratio and everything. I thought that was neat, but more so um, what I enjoyed was opening. You see people at a train station. Then you see a young boy reading comics in a newspaper. Then you see a young man that's uh, at the train station. And I'm thinking, okay, we're seeing this, you know, the boy has grown up into this young man Then we're going to see this young man transform into Bill Nye. And it's like, we've seen Bill Nye's life flash before his eyes in this opening sequence. And then like, we'll see how he's now a hardened man, not the little boy reading comics. And no, that's not what they do. They kind of, I was expecting that to be the more traditional thing. And that's not what they do. Instead, the young man then is confronted with Bill Nye and he's like this new whippersnapper that's coming mm-hmm. in. Bill Nye is like, doesn't care anything about him. And that was, I was like, oh, that's cool. And it was like, not the character introduction moment I was expecting, but I was glad that it wasn't like, so that was, and I just thought, cool, this movie's going to, you know, this is going to work for me. So, yeah. and like you said, even though it was in apparently in the original, the thing that happens later in the film was kind of a shock and a surprise to me, but it was it just all kind of clicked and worked. Yeah. So agree. I, 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 I like this film quite a bit. Um, I do recommend it. Um, and plus, I mean, if we want to talk duration, it's an hour 42. It was a good, sure. good length. Uh, it looked beautiful. Well acted. Uh, pacing was, was slow. So just gotta be prepared for that. It is a relatively slow paced film. Uh, it does take its time with a lot of scenes and moments, but, um, but I think it's great, buoyed by a wonderful performance by Bill Nye. All the supporting roles are also well done. Sure. And uh, it looked great and uh, just a great message. So I have no problem with remakes, if Chris, if that's kind of the, the, the way they're going to approach them in the future. It made sense to me. It and worked. like you said, it was 70 years, unlike uh, Man Called Otto, which, which came was like out maybe with Tom three, <laughs> Maybe three <laughs> so, years, if right. not. So yeah. All right. Well, that is the film Living, starring Bill Nye. It is directed by Oliver Hermanis. Again, written by Kazu Ishiguro and based on an original screenplay by Akira Kurosawa. So, Chris, let's take a quick little break right here, a little station ID moment for us. Come back. We got several trailers to just kind of give you a little teasers of of films that are coming your way soon that we want to explore and talk about a little bit. And then our recommendations for the episode as well. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We are Foot Candle Films here on The Mesh. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. All right, welcome back to Foot Candle Films, everybody, here on the TV. Chris and I gave our reviews of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, 
and living in the first half of the show, but now we've moved on to talking about future projects. These are films that are coming your way. We like to exhibit them in something we call the trailer tapas, which is kind of those little morsels you get to kind of get you interested and excited in the movie as a whole. We're going to play a couple trailers and kind of set them up and talk about them as well as I think, Chris, you've got a couple other films that you're going to tease us on. We may not be able to play the whole trailers for (laughs) for various reasons. We'll explain a little bit later. But Chris, let's let's go first. I've got a trailer I want to show you. Okay. You have not seen yet. I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. Uh, I have thoughts that I am planning to share with you. Okay. Um, This is a film coming out by the duo that we haven't seen together quite a long time working on a film collectively. And that is Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. The two of them best known for doing goodwill hunting back in the day, uh, wrote it together. And then Matt Damon starred in it with Ben Affleck as a supporting role. Now this is a film that they've worked on together as well. They're both starring in, um, it's based on a true story. Okay. It is based on Nike, the company Nike and the evolution or creation of the Air Jordan shoe. Okay. Therefore, the name of the film is Air. We've had plane. <laughs> We've had other one word film titles. Now we just have Air. Three letters. Chris, I'm going to show you this trailer again. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Chris Tucker, Jason Bateman, Viola Davis. And Tell others. me Chris Tucker is playing Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, he's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know who he's playing in the film, actually. <laughs> um, but it is a true story of the Nike company and what leads them to develop the Air Jordan shoe. Here we go. Here's the trailer. 1984 has been a tough year. Our sales are down. Our growth is down. Sonny, I brought you in here to grow the basketball business. People don't know what the hell a Nike is. What's a Converse? NBA all-star shoe. There's nothing cool about Nike. You would have to have a pretty compelling pitch. I can tell them the one thing the other companies can't compete with. Our basketball division is terrible. I do not love it. So, Chris, tell me what you just saw. Tell me what you think of this uh, this trailer. Okay. Is it Night Ranger? Yeah, Night Ranger singing Sister Christian. Okay, yeah. I, not that big of a fan of the song, but I mean, it, you know, it's, but it's just... I don't know, like eye rolling inducing for me. Uh, but that's because it's just, it's not like it's just a needle drop for a set. No, it's like, then it's the theme for the entire rest of the trailer and just kind of painful. Notice that it was also directed by Ben Affleck. So he wrote, mm-hmm. co-wrote it with Damon and then he's also starring in it. Um, well, and then it's going to be in theaters, but then it's also, I saw it's an Amazon production. So it's, then it'll probably it'll be in theaters over. initially. I think this is one deal where Amazon actually said they're going to roll it out in theaters first and then mm-hmm. it'll be on Amazon pretty closely after that. Right. April okay. 5th. So it's coming up pretty soon. Um, <clears throat> I will say this. Ben Affleck has directed at least, I think two movies. He did Argo, right? He did Argo before that he did the town. Right. I think both good movies. I mean, Argo won best picture, right? Didn't it? Oh man, did it? Wow. I think it maybe, was. I think maybe, it was the best maybe. picture winner. Okay. I mean, they're, they're good movies. I mean, he, he can direct a decent good movie. Um, and I love a good behind the scenes business movie. People are trying to do new things and having to take chances and all that. I love that kind of format. I just, man, I cannot get enthusiastic about this idea of a film. <laughs> it is the creation. I mean, Nike was a company before Air Jordan. Nike was a big multi-million dollar sure. company. 
I just can't get behind this being a rags to riches story of Nike generating the first Air Jordan. Uh, huh. Well, and it's problematic, a little, not problematic, but it's unfortunate that Matt Damon also starred a film called Ford and Ferrari. Yeah. Where it was kind of Same a kind of similar type thing. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, you know, yeah. So I but, just, it's, it's unfortunate that it's, and I, the thing is, I ha, it has a lot of people in there that I like Viola Davis. And I, you know, I like Matt Damon, Ben Affleck's okay. Um, Jason Bateman and the little things that they should have been like, I think he's going to be in there, I guess for a little bit of comedy, like, but it works. Hey, he, he works. Um, I just, I, you know, actually if they were to take this whole thing and actually make it a little bit more of more of on a comedic slant, which I don't think they're going to do, no, they're not going for that. <laughs> but if they did that, that would actually maybe work for me a little better because that would be different than Ford versus. Well, Ferrari, here, here's but. the deal with this film, Chris, I will be going to see this film. I'm, okay. I'm already so, I mean, I will see it. Okay. The film is going to have to work really, really hard to make me believe <laughs> that it's a worthwhile film, okay. a, a film that needs to be made. Fair enough. Okay. I'm curious enough about it with the people involved, with the format of the film. I'm curious enough, but I am already dreading that it's going to be overly dramatic in places that it should not be dramatic. Trying to pull on emotion strings that aren't really warranted to bring on. The story to me isn't, isn't, I mean, it's maybe an interesting short documentary, but I can't sure. see a dramatic film based on this. But again, movie prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> I would have said the same thing about Moneyball. Uh, okay. um, the story of Moneyball with the Oakland A's and kind of their whole use of statistics to build a baseball team. Right. But the movie got me and it worked. It's one of my favorite movies from the last decade. So you know what? Bring it on air. Show me what you got. I'm, I'm ready to. I'm ready to believe. I'm ready to. I'm ready to fly. Nice air. So well, they and at one point they had a subtitle. It was like air, and then there was some words below it. And I can't remember what it was, but I was like, uh, I was like, oh, the subtitle of the film is just keep, uh, it, just keep it air. But it was like it's courting a legend. Oh God, yeah, and that which is that, horrible. That yeah, okay, so. You know, I was kind of the sister Christian Light Ranger thing, and then it was like air courting. I was like, "Oh gosh!" Like, like if that was actually a joke, then I'd be like, "Because courting basketball, um, something that could actually be a saving grace." Now that I think about it, okay, Chris Tucker being Michael Jordan would be amazing, but he's clearly not. Um, because I think that would be funny. Um, not having Michael Jordan, anyone playing Michael Jordan in the film at. All I'm actually all you have are his parents yeah. and maybe like when he's trying to convince people he's showing footage of like his days at Carolina which obviously I'm a little partial to as are you mm-hmm. um but yeah you don't bother trying to cat like a Michael Jordan I think I'd that be happy if he be, wasn't in the film at all right right exactly. I mean I think we see one shot of him walking through the offices you see the back of him or something like that walking in I'm fine with that but don't make it a big speaking part don't no, make it yeah no. let that be more let this film be about. The, the machinations going on behind the scenes, right. building up somebody who's going to be a legend. Sure. Um, there's something you could play with there. I just, that trailer did not convince me that they <laughs> tapped into what that's going to be. Right. Or doing it in a very convincing way. Again, oh good, a movie about millionaires be, being coming bigger millionaires. Sure. That's what I get from it. And that's, that's where I'm struggling. So, okay. That was Air, Courting a Legend. <laughs> Directed by Ben Affleck, starring Matt Damon and many others. Yes. Coming April 5th to theaters, and then shortly after that will be available on Amazon. Chris, you have a trailer to share with me that I have not seen yet. 
You want to set this up for us? Sure. Uh, Owen Wilson stars in a film that when you see, you obviously just hear the trailer now, but uh, when you see a still from the film, it'll make you think he's kind of portraying uh, Bob Ross. Oh, the <laughs> famous it, artist. Yes. So I think he is, it's kind of riffing on that, but a, a comedic portrayal. So um, I'm happy to see Owen Wilson anytime he's on screen usually. And uh, I look forward to this. It looks like it could be funny. Um, so it is called paint uh, again with the one word titles of our Here films we today. <laughs> we go from air to paint. Here we go. The trailer for paint. It's hard not to feel a little lost as we begin. Let's just take it all in. When's the last time you heard someone say something that interesting? There's nothing like having the one you hold dearest nearest when the world turns cold thanks for going to a special place with me carl Narkel. i'm always moving forward just on to the next okay so the trailer for paint starring owen wilson um yeah uh, I, this looks entertaining and fun i mean i i i get the vibe to, uh, I mean, not that obviously subject matter is very different, but what was the film that was made about the uh, National Lampoon um, with Will Forte? Uh, you're talking about the one that was about the magazine, the yes. se- a serious and something gesture. I can't remember the name. Right. Of it. I'm, yeah. I'm blanking on the name right. as well, but a little bit of that same vibe to it. And that, except that was about real people. That was about real people. Like, Look, this is right. I mean, he's obviously playing. Bob Ross, and the, the, the the appearance, the the hair, the, the, hair. the type of painting, painting style, everything. Sure, is sure, exactly sure. It. it sounds like it's a movie that they wanted to kind of have a little bit of fun with the Bob Ross story without it actually tapping into the Bob Ross, uh, you know, family uh, name and right. so forth. So, but um, I think it looks, I think it looks fun. I mean, I do like Owen Wilson in the role, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see. There was enough like odd stuff in the trailer. Yeah. Somebody, which you know, somebody sucking on a finger because they wanted to taste the cheese, and somebody sniffing like his Birkenstock. Yeah. There's enough like odd type humor that, as long as there's enough free reign, like I think it could be actually kind of funny. So yeah, um, a futile and a stupid and futile gesture. Stupid and futile gesture. Yeah. A little bit of that, although I know that was all about a comedic presence, and it was ba- it was a based on a, a true characters. Again, I'm going to say I bet you there's some similarities with Bob Roster pulling into this film. Um, yeah, no, I think it looks good. Brick McAdams, the director, being released by IMC, IFC Films. Um, I'm curious. I'm very curious. Be anxious to see what comes out on this. Um, it's a little early. I mean, it's just kind of a first view of it. Right. I don't know anything else you about the backing of it, yeah. but um, looks interesting. Yeah. Tone Wilson. All right. Now, Chris, we have two other films that um, – for various reasons, we're not going to play the whole trailers for. Okay. Let's go ahead and get into the first one that I know you wanted to bring up with us. It is, uh, the, the, the trailer is for the film called Strays. You want to tell us what Strays is about, Chris? Uh, it's one of Alan's favorite topics, talking animals on screen. I love animals that talk on screen. Um, and why we will only be playing a little bit of it is because this is a film for adults. This is hard R. So this is not Babe, Pig in the City. This is, this is a, it's a comedy, but it's using the vocal talents of, uh, let's see, Kevin, is it Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart? Yeah, Kevin no, Hart. No, 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 no. Kevin Hart, no, it's a Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, sorry. Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx. Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. And um, it's, 
yeah, I did, we'll play a little bit of the trailer, but uh, yeah, as my before. All right. So here's the, here's the part of the trailer you're going to get. Let's go ahead and uh, play this uh, play this part of the trailer. Today is going to be the best day ever. I love sunshine. I love butterflies. But more than anything, I love Doug. Hey! Shut the f*** That's Doug, the best owner in the world. Yep, that's all you get. Because the rest of the the rest of the trailer is we cannot play it on our podcast uh, without tons of extra bleeping, a lot of editing efforts that have to go in. If you're curious to see the rest of the trailer, please go online and do so. Chris, your thoughts? Why? Why? uh, Why bring this trailer up in our tapas? Well, a lot of times when we review comedies, specifically, um, we'll talk about how we wonder if they were reined in because they were trying to get the magical PG-13, which means high schoolers can still see it, but they put it PG-13. So that way, maybe the older crowd that typically goes to see R-rated films would be tempted to go see it. But this film, nope. They're saying, yeah, I mean, if you see it's like a talking animal movie, okay, you you would think they would gear that more towards kids or families. They make it adult, but they don't even try to maybe make it PG-13. They're like, no, this is R. And apparently, they haven't even released a clean version of the trailer. Not that we could find it. Not that we could find at this point. So it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And it, it lets me think that the comedians involved, Will Forte is in it as well. He doesn't voice an animal. He's an owner of the dog that Will Ferrell voices. It makes you think that they were able to kind of get a little bit more free reign and do whatever they want to. They weren't hemmed by like a ratings board to, you know, make, try to dull down the comedy. So I don't know if it was just a typical talking animal movie that was PG or PG 13. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be that interested in it, but the fact that of the people, the actors involved and they're, you know, making a comedy, I, I think it could possibly be pretty good. Well, it reminds me a little bit, and this is both good and bad in the film, uh, sausage party from several years ago, right? Sausage party was kind of a CGI animated film that was all about food. And if Seth you, Rogen, Seth Rogen, if you just looked at it from the surface, you'd think, Oh, it's going to be kind of a Pixar type film. And it's kind of even marketed and looked that way at the beginning, but it's very adult, very vulgar. Yes. And all that. Um, that movie was not great. I mean, it didn't work for me completely. I mean, I at least appreciated that it was kind of like you said, going there mm-hmm. and not being restricted by its uh, PG 13 boundaries. This film looks the same on the onset. A lot of vulgarities in the trailer, a lot of shocking moments in the trailer that's trying to play up. Whether that's all we're really going to get as far as true comedy goes or or if it can really maintain that for a film and make that concept work, we'll have to see. I don't know. But sure. look, it is talking animals. It's talking <laughs> cursing animals, which is maybe even a higher echelon sure. uh, stra- uh, genre for me at this point. So I'm on board, but I'm really curious to see if they can maintain this for a good 90 minute running time well, and keep, making it as, as entertaining as that two minutes of the trailer. was. Keeping it short, you know, always comedies. If you can do like a 90 minute comedy, that could be kind of smart because that way you don't overstay your welcome for yeah. a pretty simple concept, but we'll see. Um, okay. So that is strays coming out. I think uh, this fall or spring, I think it's coming out pretty soon here. Now, Chris, speaking of overstaying its welcome, talking about films that uh, can't sustain itself for the duration of the runtime and ones that we can't really show or not going to. It's not that we can't show the trailer for this film. We're just choosing not to in its entirety because it is 
more of a mood trailer than anything. Sure. This is for me more of a curiosity of how and why is this thing being made? <laughs> you want to tell us about the last film we're going to mention here, which is... I will mention yeah. the title. Why don't you go ahead and give us the title? Uh, Winnie the Pooh, colon, Blood and Honey. So this is... <laughs> I don't normally read the comments on like a YouTube posting <laughs> sure. of a trailer, but I just happened to scroll down and this was the first one I saw. Do it. Uh, it said the filmmakers were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, that they didn't stop to think if they should. <laughs> now I think, so the idea is that this is a horror film version yeah. of the Winnie the Pooh story. Yeah, let the let the trailer let the trailer run. All right, so we're gonna play yeah. the trailer, or yeah. part of the trailer. Sure. I don't, I don't no, think no. we need to do the whole thing because it's doesn't really tell you a whole lot just from the trailer sure, audio. Right. But uh, we'll describe it when we get done here. Here's the trailer for Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey. You know, you're the first person I ever shown this place to. And why am I so special? Because soon we'll be Christopher and Mary Robin. You should be close now. We're not going to find them. We will. Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore. We were friends for many years, and they're out there. Christopher, we need to leave. Now. I really need to find out what's happened here, okay? Okay. So, here's the thing. This movie is out now in theaters. <laughs> um, I, it's more of a curiosity for me because Winnie the Pooh, I'm assuming, has now lapsed from being a Disney property, but I'm not sure. I don't know the whole... I don't understand, A, how they got it made, and then B, how it is actually in theaters. Like, it just boggles my mind um, because, you know, they do use the names, They t- and it's like, now, <laughs> they again... Quality of the film, not a test testifying to that. Yeah, you can see in the trailer if you watch it online, like the costumes are just literally somebody wearing a Winnie the Pooh costume. Unless and, that's part of the deal. I'm curious if the film is maybe that you, I mean, again, I'm, I, I, this is not a spoiler because I don't know. I haven't seen the film. No, it's, it, Whether they're going to eventually play off the idea that these are actual people who have kind of adopted these characters personalities in a way oh, I, I hope not i hope they stick with you uh, want it to be this is because the trailer said this is christopher robin he sure. used to have the fun and now he's an adult now and he has le- he has abandoned Pooh, and so therefore Pooh has turned deranged because for those of you that are just listening on audio <laughs> uh yeah the the Pooh and eeyore character that we see in the film are human beings with just mask on right but they're supposed to be these childhood characters i don't know um yeah i'm i'm morbidly curious oh me too but i tell you it does not look like a good movie oh no it looks like a horrible movie um i'm just shocked it's playing here locally at our local amc chain theater that's amazing to me it it is surprising that uh (laughs) winnie the pooh blood and honey blood and honey we're not recommending it. We haven't seen it. We just think um, it's, it's interesting. An, an interesting oddity of a, of a film production. Right. So, yeah, I'm curious about the copyright side of it, how it all got made. Are they in, jumping right into a legal uh, legal fire uh, by, by releasing this film? I don't know. I'm very curious about that. Yeah. I mean, if they can, there again, if you can keep the runtime short, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Who knows? But yeah, it's it just, looks like a rough watch. Right? It's just a curiosity. It's like a very rough watch. Okay. So that's four films we're teasing. Of the four, Chris, yes, I'm excited about Strays. I hope that one is as funny as I hope it can be. And I'm excited about Paint because I think that looks really interesting. I'm very, very curious about Air <laughs> and probably even more curious about Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I think it's a safe assumption that the production value on all of the films will be higher than, than Winnie the Pooh. Than Blood and Honey. Blood and Honey. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, with all that, Chris, we have gone through four films that are coming up in the coming months or Blood and Honey in theaters now, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, rush out if you, um, if you like it. <laughs> let's go ahead and turn our attention to a couple of recommendations. These are films that we have recently caught up with or maybe took a chance to revisit and we want to share with you as a recommendation of something we think is worth checking out. If you're in the mood for finding a new film to watch this coming weekend or uh, any free time you have. And Chris, these are all ones we can find online, correct? Still, we're doing? Yes. Okay, good. All right. Chris, why don't you go first? What do you have to share with us as a recommendation? So I'm going to recommend a film that came out uh, kind of tail end of last year. Maybe I think, you know, it came out the beginning of this year, but it was a 2022 film. Um, and it actually is still in theaters, but you can also watch it VOD on demand like Apple or Amazon. You can rent it there. But it is Megan, and it's directed by Jared Johnston. And the idea behind Megan is it's a, a brilliant toy company roboticist uses artificial intelligence to develop Megan, a life-size or lifelike doll programmed to emotionally bond with her newly orphaned niece. And as you can probably guess, things don't really go well and Megan starts killing people. Um, I, this film is campy, but yet it's, a, it's very self-aware. The character design for the Megan lifelike doll is perfect because it mm-hmm. has this like... Very, it looks very human, but the eyes are just this like stagnant, vacant stare. So it's creepy, really works. Um, a young girl, Violet McGraw, plays Katie, the one that the daughter that Megan befriends. She was good. And what was really impressive is she has some scenes of rage <laughs> in the film, yeah. like real anger and rage that were scarily good. Like it was wow. like, whoa, <laughs> like this kid, like she, it was really impressive. Um, also in the film, they use Megan singing songs sometimes. And it's like the anti Disney way where Disney does it to like make it emotional and heartfelt. Mm -hmm. And it's like doing it, but it's songs that are supposed to be heartfelt, but it is creepy. And you know, it's creepy because you know what Megan's doing. Very, very, very creepy. Wow. Um, So it's still in theaters. Um, Some theaters it's here locally. But uh, if not, you can rent it on uh, Apple and Amazon if you like, you know, kind of jump scare. And it's not overly jump scare. It's more of a horror comedy yeah. than an outright like horror film. So uh, Megan, that's my recommendation. And that is the way you pronounce it is Megan. It Megan. M-E-G-A-N. Right. Even but though the, the E in the titles kind of turn like, like three. a three. And, and there's a read because it's like she's a third generation ah, Android. That's the whole thing. Okay. But yeah. Good deal. Well, I have been curious. And you have now taken the leap for me, so I will now also check it out. And because of the box office, it was done by like Blumhouse Pictures and everything, they have already stated that there will be a sequel. Okay. As, of course, anything that makes money. Anything <laughs> that makes a, any amount of money in, a, in the low-budget horror film right? genre is going to make a sequel. Sure. So. Okay, great. Well, my, uh, my recommendation is also one uh, fairly recent film. And as we're talking as Oscar uh, award season um, – you know, it, it's it's one that's got a nomination floating out there. 
So it was in my efforts to try to catch up on all films that got nominations. This is one I did see that I, I am going to recommend for a couple of reasons. It is the film Causeway hmm. with Jennifer Lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry. Okay. Uh, directed by Lila Neubauer. We actually talked about this film months ago. Showed the trailer because we brought it up as a interesting looking film in that it is Jennifer Lawrence kind of returning to a little more indie, small performance type of role. And that is truly what we get with her in this film. This film is about a U.S. soldier played by Lawrence who had suffered a traumatic brain injury while fighting in Afghanistan. But this film focuses not on that. It's on her returning back to her home and trying to reacclimate into society and some of the struggles she faces in doing so. Gotcha. That in itself is fine. That in itself, the premise is fine. I think the film does a decent job of explaining that premise. What I do think works really well for the film and why I'm recommending it. I think Jennifer Lawrence is good in this. I think she, she, it reminds me a lot of winter's bone type of her mm-hmm. performance. She gets, she gets to play a little more of an in-depth person with a lot of layers to them. Um, that we, I don't think we've got, got to see her play as much of in, in recent years, but also uh, her co-star Brian Tyree Henry is very, very good. He is nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this performance. North Carolina boy. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, we're going to shout that out. Um, he's good. He plays a a uh, guy who kind of runs an auto mechanic shop in town that works on uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Her character is uh, Lindsay. Works on Lindsay's car. They become friends. And they're both struggling with some things from their past or struggling with some things that are really still affecting them. Uh, their mental... Um, well-being and so it's them working together kind of learning from each other on that and i think that relationship really works i think the two that i bought the relationship i bought how they became friends i also bought kind of for good or for bad where the relationship goes throughout the film and some of the things that get in the way um all that works for me i do think his performance is really good would it have been one of the top five oscar nominated supporting actor roles of the year it's maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I mean, I think I see why he got the acclaim he did. And I'm going to say it is a good performance. Both of them are good. I think it's worth seeing. It is a small film. It's a very quiet film. It's a very, uh, not a lot happening in the film. I'm just going to kind of preface that, but that's okay. And that's what works for me is that it's more just an exploration of these two characters. And we follow them through their days. And we kind of see, um, uh, the impact things from the past have had on them now and how it's maybe preventing them from moving forward with their lives or maybe causing them to now swerve in a different direction. So um, I like the film in general. I thought it was good. I am recommending it just because of the performances I think are worth seeing. And that's Apple TV plus. Right? It is a good point. Apple TV plus. Unfortunately, what that means is that you can't just go on any other platform and rent it, which I normally don't like recommending films that you you can only see only if you have a certain service, but that is true. Is is Apple TV Plus at least as far as services go? It's like your cheapest one you can get. I think it's still five six dollars a month to have this uh, service. So I mean, if you really want to see this movie, rent it for uh, rent the service for one month. You'll pay your six dollars, <laughs> then cancel it at the end of the month. And that's fine. Or There's wait, some other stuff or, to watch. Know, Ted Lasso's the new season of Ted Lasso yeah. is going to come around again. So true. Watch yeah. that. <laughs> So I think it's worth a $6 one month subscription to Apple TV plus to see this film. Sure. Uh, it's good. Um, so yeah, that's Causeway uh, on Apple TV plus. So Chris, that's our recommendations for the episode. You with Megan, 
Megan, me, Thregan, <laughs> yes. Megan, and then me with Causeway. Um, kind of happy. Normally, I'm the one that goes with the little more popcorn films for recommendations. You go a little more yeah, critically out, acclaimed, out there. Uh, yeah. out there, film festival films. Sure. Uh, it's nice to see that swap a little bit this month. So happy to see that. All right, Chris, uh, that is our show. We're wrapping it up. If anybody has any thoughts, comments, or questions about any of the reviews we did, any of the trailers we talked about, or the recommendations we give, uh, how can they get a hold of us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're also on Letterboxd, where we try to track what we're seeing and leave short little reviews. Do us a favor. Give us a star rating, write a review, or share with your friends on whatever service you received your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We would always appreciate that. And uh, be aware that the 2023 Foot Candle Film Festival is going to be September 18th through the 24th. So uh, try to make where this is kind of the save the date early notice that uh, we hope you can uh, come join us for that. Absolutely. Looking forward to that weekend. We'll be talking even more about it as we get closer. But go ahead and mark off your calendar and kind of be, be planning to join us in Western North Carolina, the Hickory area uh, in late September. All right, Chris, well, we're going to wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Foot Candle Films. We will be back next time with more reviews, discussions, trailers, teasers, news, anything else about movies that we're following. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening, I guess I should say. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.